0: All right, this is recording podcast number 002. I know that sounds ambitious, right? That we'll get into the hundreds. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Uh, and this is um, called Commitment and Other Thoughts on Connectedness. At our last encounter... Uh, I had given a few things, an overview of this and I promised, I had suggested that I would dig into this dig deeper and so here we go. Uh, today I will not be moving furniture and as a point of uh, clarity, yesterday I found that I didn't, I wasn't able to do both at the same time so I just wandered around my living room while talking and that seemed to work good enough and then I did the... Uh, Moving of the furniture after the fact. I know you really wanted to know that. So now the uh, Christmas tree is in the center of the window again. It looks so much nicer. The kids love it. And it feels like the, fo- the flow, the feng shui is much better. So in any case, here we go. Uh, commitment and other thoughts on connectedness. First, let's define commitment. What does this look like? What does this mean? Why is it important? Uh, let's talk about the ways we can be commit, uh the people that we can be committed to. I have here in my list five, let's make it six. Uh, family, friends, work, hobbies, church or churches, and then finally you know what? Let's just leave that last one for the end and it'll be a surprise. That'll be good. One, two, three, four, five, six. So let's start off with family. Uh, uh, Actually, let's back up. Let's talk about commitment just in general overall and see if we can get a framework for this. It seems that uh, in the past, there's been a high value for your word is your bond. Maybe your grandparents or great-grandparents, maybe if you're lucky, your parents have said this phrase to you, but have have really what they said they would do, they would do. Things were done on a handshake maybe even, and nowadays things nearly need to be signed in blood. Uh, we have them in duplicate and triplicate. We have phrases like, good fences, make good neighbors, Right? of this idea of isolation and separating ourselves. Uh, We build faster cars to get farther away, to be able to live farther outside of town and still get into town uh, to work. Right, what did I I hear from one of my uh, millennial friends recently? They said, the worst place I can imagine living is in the suburbs. Put me smack dab in the middle of the city or put me way out in the country with property. But the worst case scenario is having... A medium sized backyard that I have to take care of, a medium sized house or a large house that I have to take care of, and all the deck and the roof and the garage and everything that comes with it. I would rather have a small apartment where I can uh, be out and about in the city and not have much to take care of, uh, or I'd like to be able to rest and relax out in the country and spend the weekends, uh, you know, mowing my giant lawn, whatnot, or having animals. But the suburbs, wow, that just sounds like the worst of both worlds. So the, the mentality has really shifted recently. And, and this idea of, of commitment, of connectedness is part of this as well. Is they, is it just doesn't seem that it's reasonable to be committed to something that would take that much work so commitment. So, so why is this valuable? Why is this important? Uh, we have the the other mentality that seems to be, um, coming up is this idea of if I have a good excuse, if I have a good reason for not showing up or for being late, then that's okay. Yes. I said I would be there and that I would be there on time, but you know what? Something came up. And so I showed up when I could. And so we've, we've, sort of entered into this willy-nilly, haphazard, <laughs> fluctuating sort of ethical realm of, of not being committed. And I think a large part of this is what, what I had talked about last time was this passion of not really knowing what, what our passion is or what our calling is or what our, what our desire is. And so if you're, not, if you're not very interested in it, then why would you bother... Why would you bother being committed to it? Why would you bother um, even showing up at all? I mean, so we do it out of duty or obligation or because our spouse encouraged us to or something along those lines. But it's really, it's really not a wholehearted, it's halfhearted at best. And so, the, and, and so we kind of wander through life. Hey, at least, I'm, at least I'm showing up, right? You should just be grateful that I, that I showed up at all. Right with this sort of banal, I don't know what to, you know, uh, just frustrated heart, frustrated um, attitude towards life, and you know what, people can feel that, people can smell that, people can sense that, and so you know, our solution is maybe just to isolate even more. You know, we got enough Netflix backed up that we need to watch, you know, and this this glorified binge watching. You know, that's, that's like, what did you do last weekend? Oh, I binge-watched this new show. Have you seen this? It's so good. And uh, that is becoming more and more a part of our culture. So what are ways, or who are ways, who are people that we can commit to, connect with, and get out of this, out of this revolving door of not being able to commit and connect and engage with life? what What would make us cross that chicken line, so to speak, uh, and really lean into something so let's start with family. Family can be one of two things: it could be biological or it could be tribe tribal in the sense of people that you chose maybe maybe it's from adoption to uh because you were adopted or because you were an only child or something like that, or your parents passed away at a young age or uh you just weren't, you know, maybe just you weren't close with your biological family. And so you have kind of chosen your group of people that you like to hang out with. And and that's great. And that's fantastic. I mean, for a lot of people, the biological pull is extremely strong. Whether it's Thanksgiving, Christmas, other holidays that demand their attendance, <laughs> demand our attendance is we feel that we need to show up we need to be a part of this and again it comes back to that duty and obligation so how do we how do we commit to something how do we show that we have character while at the same time not giving into this into this feeling of duty and obligation you know is it is the answer just picking a tribe picking our group of people that we're really actually excited to see and actually excited to to connect with so that's the first group second group is maybe people at work <laughs> now if you were like maybe you've had a job like i've had before where uh you are in a group in a room with eight to ten other people and you're sort of forced to be friends with these people for eight hours a day you know we have a lot more of these shared office rooms environment that they that they were feeling was the answer to. Uh, connecting people, making sure that people weren't feeling isolated at work. And I hear recent, uh, more recently now they're going back to having uh, more walls and more soundproofing where people can, can kind of get away and get their work done. And if they want to be a part of the thing that's happening out with other people, then they can open their door and invite people to be a part of what they're doing. But it's interesting because this is sort of a forced Friendships, forced groups. Hey, who's? Where are we all going to lunch today? And then you must invite every person that's in your room, and and it leads to you know frankly some frustration with either the person who doesn't maybe doesn't want to go in the first place, doesn't want to be invited, and the other person who didn't want to invite them in the first place, and it just becomes this odd, odd sort of uh, relationship um, in this forced work environment. Now the other the other possibility is that you know you go down the hall or around the corner or something and you and you find your people. You find your group of people that you relate to and you know you have lunch with them or you engage with them before work or after work. And a lot of times this works as well. The thing is we find we we find that so much of how we feel about commitment is again tied to this this forced room group of people that we must adhere to their norms. And, and so then we don't want to be committed. You know, we don't want to be committed to our biological family because maybe we're just born into this family, but I'm nothing like you know, my brothers or sisters or parents. all right. Or maybe I just choose to focus on something in life that's different than what they've chose to focus on and, and don't always feel like I, I can relate to them. And so, and so we, we have this pushback that we feel towards being committed to them. And maybe to these, the people that we work with as well. So the third group would be people that we have things in common with, like hobbies. Years ago, I lived in uh, Denver, Colorado. And there in Denver, it was extremely popular to be a part of a club. Now, again, as you can imagine, there's pros and cons to this. The uh, People would drive 45 minutes across town, maybe over an hour across town, just to be a part of their group of people, whether it was a cycling club, triathlon club, knitting book club, all kinds of all kinds of clubs, and that was their people and, and you'd meet them you know maybe at the volleyball park or wherever else, and say, "Hey, would you be interested in coming to this?" And they'd say, "No, I already have my club, my group of people and and that's fine. That's great. These, these hobby, you know, hobbies connect us. Hobbies help us to engage with the world and to, uh, to find people who we have things in common with. So that's the third group. The fourth group is uh, churches, people who attend religious organizations. And you know, people find a lot of identity in connecting with people that have the same sort of belief systems that they have. Um, and and the good the good side to that is that people find people they can relate to. <laughs> the downside is if somebody changes, or maybe even grows <laughs> in their understanding, or 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 maybe just develops in a way that they that they kind of change their their beliefs, then oftentimes these religious organizations and structures ostracize that person and say, "Well, you no longer." adhere to our core beliefs, so it's time for you to move on or we won't let you participate in this activity or that activity. So oftentimes there's, there's a couple of groups of people that attend uh, churches, religious functions, and that is what I, what I uh, call the pew sitters. Years ago in traditional Christian churches, they'd have these things called pews, big, long, wooden benches, bench seats with backs. If you were lucky, they were padded On the bottom. If you were really lucky, they were padded on the bottom and on the back. (laughs) But basically, you would just be crammed in, you know, with a dozen other people in a pew that would maybe seat, you know, six or seven. And so that was always fun, sitting there and sweating and and you know just being really close with the other with the other attendees, listening to this you know listening to this presentation that was happening. Whether it was a teaching, a preaching, uh, maybe there's a band or some music up there, but, uh, but you have these pusiters people that would just come to be entertained. And, uh, and, and then they would go home and say, I don't really feel connected there. I don't really feel like the, these are my people. They would come and go. And the second group of people would be the people that would volunteer. They would say, I really want to get to know other people, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give back. Part of the problem with this one is is that again? It's done out of a sense of um, something that they could get out of it, not necessarily out of a out of a heart of giving. And they would look to say, "Okay, where where's where's the biggest need? I want to go to where the biggest need is." And at, at first view, at face value, that seems like an amazing sentence. You look at that person, like, "Wow, what a servant!" You know, they have these, we have these phrases. That, That we use in our world is a servant's heart. (laughs) What a person that's so giving! They're so kind. Oh, that's the one I hear all the time. They're so kind, and uh, and so they give themselves away. It's not even something that they want to do. Oh wow, look at this person! They're just so amazing. They're so selfless. They're so selfless. (laughs) <laughs> the problem is this might last six months, a year. And if the person is really, quote unquote, committed, it might last a couple of years. But eventually all of that selflessness wears off and it just becomes so heavy. And they come and they're like, I really have not gotten connected. I, I really don't feel, you know, loved by the other people there. They're just, they are just want to use me up. They just want to take my energy and take my time and, and they just want to use me. Be an usher or a janitor, or you know the the barista in the church coffee shop. But I don't really feel that sense of um, belonging. So those two people, they come, they go, they do their thing, but still feel this this lack of commitment and connected, long term connectedness. So that was family and work people uh, that we have commonalities with and with hobbies and then even religious institution like churches number five is friends and and this one might be somebody that doesn't fit into any of those other categories that they <clears throat> that they are people we met along the way and we can't maybe even remember where did we meet meet you again maybe it's a, one of your spouse's uh friends or um you know, maybe your spouse is married to that other person, and so then uh because you have your gender in common, you you know, struck up a friendship. And years later, you and that person stayed friends, even if your spouse didn't stay friends with with their uh married other. And so these some of these can be fantastic friendships because they weren't built under a belief system like at a church, or they weren't built around a hobby and you had to keep doing that hobby that maybe you moved on from that since then or you don't, you know, or maybe you worked with the person before but you don't work with them anymore, but they're not uh but they're not biological or they're not family. And so some of these people can be really great. But again, uh you may find it hard to stay committed if you run out of things that you have in common, if there isn't if there isn't something to revolve your commitment around, right? If there isn't a if there isn't a way that you can stay connected, and so you like the person, they like you. You hang out when you can. But with a lot of these relationships, we're finding that months go by, and you'll see, you know, this estranged cousin, a family member, right, or somebody that you that you used to work with, or that you had a hobby in common with, or uh, that you attended attended a previous church with this person, and you say, "Let's grab coffee." So you grab coffee and you catch up, let's catch up. And then you see somebody else a um, couple months later and you do that with them and you have this revolving door of loose friends that are actually more like acquaintances. So we keep people at arm's length by grabbing coffee, <laughs> by, by having these little hour, two hour, little connected meetings um, to catch up and to see how they're doing. But we never go deep. But we rarely go deep. We rarely find a way to say, I would be there for you. And then we wonder why we don't have anyone that would be there for us, that would connect with us, that when, when the chips are down maybe or when we'd really like to have someone to go to a movie with, like, where are all my friends? Where are all these people that said, oh, we're going to be friends for life, we're going to be committed? We haven't really figured out this enigma, the puzzle, that is commitment because we've lost it in in our culture. I would like to suggest that we've lost this as a general core value in our culture, in our Western culture here. So what is that sixth sort of mysterious one that I had mentioned that maybe binds all of this together? And it comes from a biblical passage uh, where Jesus was talking about love Um. This passage he says, love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So in this, in this verse, in the New Testament, it talks about loving God, loving others. And then the third piece is loving yourself. There's actually three different elements to this. And the reason this is significant Is In my years of counseling, I discovered that how people felt about themselves and how they treated themselves is how they would treat others. How we we treat our bodies, how we treat our minds, how we treat our emotions, how we treat our spirits, and that's a longer conversation, is how we will reflect and treat others. And again, I had mentioned this before, that people can smell this. People can sense whether you really care about them. People can sense whether you really care about yourself. You know, spouses, we go home and we have conversations sometimes about others and say, wow, I wonder, if, was this person really hurting? They seemed kind of down. And the spouse might say they had a smile on their face the whole time, you know, we were at that party. But we just have this sense, we have this knowing when, our, when, when people are hurting or when, when things aren't going well. And we have a deep care for people, right? We have this deep knowing. And so that this last piece is where we need to love ourselves. And I believe this is key to to all of those other levels of commitment, all those other ways that we just don't feel quite connected uh, to, the, to the five other groups of people in our lives, is we just can't seem to get past that acquaintanceship. We can't seem to go deeper and just... And over and over again, I hear people. Say, I can't figure out why. Is I've showed up for all of the meetings. <laughs> I put in my time. I did my due diligence. <laughs> I did all those things. Why am, am I not further along? Why am I not more connected, more committed? And I think this is the piece: is how are you treating yourself? You know, and I had mentioned before the importance of taking care of our bodies. You know, what is what does it look like? What are you eating? What is your fitness regime? One of my favorite studies that was done. I uh, was listening to NPR, and they said we and we went all across the United States, and we asked all these physical fitness instructors, "What is the best workout? What is the number one workout that you can do?" And they said we got one common answer. And at this point, I'm sitting on the edge of my chair like, wow, this should be interesting. I wonder, you know, is it CrossFit? You know, is it soul cycle, spin class, right? You know, what is this amazing workout that people should be doing? And they said, we got one answer. And it said, it's the one that you'll keep up with. <laughs> I just love that answer. I think that's fantastic. You know, my, uh, my mom as... Uh, they're entering retirement age is, is she goes for these long walks and it's the things that, that she enjoys and getting outside and, and breathing in the fresh air. And this is something that she's able to keep up with and that she enjoys. And uh, my dad loves to go into the basement and, and pump some iron and, and do some other workouts. And that's, that's something that he enjoys doing and that works out for him. And there's other people that they can't live without their Soul Cycle or their CrossFit, and more power to them. That's great. It's the thing that you will do. And so that's for our bodies. That's the thing that we find something that we can commit to with that, and and also with diets. You know, we have the, we have this word diet and this, and it's it's this hit and miss programs that we try. But the problem is when we get back to regular life, okay, I lost the weight, and, and they work. Here's the thing is a lot of these diets, they're amazing, and they work. And you lose the weight, and then you get down to where you want to be, and then what? <laughs> <laughs> what happens after that? You know, are we? do we go back to what we were eating before? Do we try a new one? I mean, what's the... Uh, What's the long-term plan? What's the thing that's sustainable? You know what? I, I know that word is, is used a lot in our culture nowadays, but I really, I think, it's a, I think it's a great word, sustainability. What is sustainable? What's sustainable in your marriage? What's sustainable um, for growing things in your backyard? What's sustainable in our society? What are we able to handle? What is What is the thing that we can keep doing without without getting burned out. And I mean, people, people get burned out from all of those things, from going to family functions, these biological family functions, they get burned out at a job that they hate. You know, that we have people going into things and they spend half their life and they get to this place and they said, I did it because I was good at it. And people kept saying, you're so good at it. You should do this. And they say, it comes so easy to me. I just don't even care. What I really wanted to do is this other thing. And we know now that it's part, part of success is the struggle to get there. And, and so at, at work, we just have these, these things that aren't sustainable. And then the same thing with, with hobbies or with the churches that we attend or the other friends that we have met. What is, what is the thing that will pull on our hearts and say, this is something that I want to stay committed to. So the first piece is your body and being committed to that from your workout to your to, your, to what you're eating. I won't say diet because that has certain connotations to it. <laughs> and the next is your mind. How are we being committed to our minds? You know, they say that people that read um, their brain just develops in powerful ways. What do they call the neuro connectors? That's what I always call them. I don't know if I'm making that word up or not. Uh, but it's it's the way that our brain starts coming alive and getting more and more energy into it is by reading and by putting uh, things that spark our interest into it. Um, they've been doing more and more studies. I mean, now that they've mapped the brain, right? And uh, saying that there's things like these video games that, are, that really bring kids' brains, just make them fire and make them excited. Um, even with my son, one of our favorite things to do every week is we, we pick a movie and we have this dad-son time and, and, and we watch this thing together and we talk about it and we get, engage in it. And he says, look at this and look what the filmmaker did here and, and look at the angle of the shot there. And, and it's an engaging process for him. Uh, and so our minds are a powerful thing. That that when we love ourselves, when we're committed to ourselves, that we'll spend time and energy uh, going after, encouraging, doing something with our minds on a regular basis. Uh, and the next is our emotions. <clears throat> now this one's tricky. You know, somebody might say you should attend a counselor and see a regular counselor. And you know what? I think that that's a great idea. I did that for for years, and saw people come in, and it just really they really seemed to uh, enjoy the process, and that seemed to work very well. And finding a good counselor is you know like finding a good mechanic, right? Something that you can trust, something that you can engage with, and and for marriages especially, just to get a tune up, check in, see how we're doing. You know, here's a great question that that maybe I'll do a, a podcast on later on is. How are you experiencing me? Whew. You have to be in a certain state of confidence with yourself to be able to ask that question. How are you experiencing me? Because it opens, it opens ourselves up to let them say whatever they want to say, right? Whatever, whatever they want however they want to respond to that. So that's taking care of our emotions. Uh, I guess i would given one example. Let's see if I can uh, throw another one at you. <clears throat> we take care of our emotions uh, by being peaceful, by being restful, by going to bed at the same time, right? By getting, you know, a good amount of hours of sleep every night. And they they say that different people need different amounts, but I've found that it's across the board with a lot of people that I've talked to is that, you know, eight seems to be a good round number. And I'm sure that I'll get plenty of comments on this of... <laughs> <laughs> people that diehards that will say I can live off of four to five others hours and other people that say nine to ten are are the way that it goes. But it seems that our life is wired in cycles of eight. You know, we go to work for eight hours, we sleep for eight hours, hopefully we spend time with family and friends for eight hours. You no, know, it doesn't work exactly that that straightforward, but um it seems like a, a good round number if you're looking for uh, direction to start with for your emotions. And it just, it allows us to wake up refreshed and peaceful and also finding that time where we can just sit in silence, where we don't have noise going on. Um, my wife and I have talked about not walking in the house on our phones. That's a good, it's been a good rule of thumb for us with our kids, but with each other as well, that whatever conversation we need to have, we can finish up in the car um, maybe if we have to park uh, around the corner, around the block <laughs> to finish up that conversation. And so being present with where we're at. But, but just turning off the technology, turning off the world just for, even, even if it's for a short amount of time, um, and, and if, on a regular basis, whatever that means to you, every day, every week, every month, where you can get centered again and feel, and feel like your emotions are being taken care of. And then lastly, spirit. I'm just going to touch on this because again, this is probably a whole podcast in and of itself. But how do we take care of our spirit? And some people call it soul. It's that thing inside you. It's that you know, intangible, intangible thing that, that makes us come alive. That, that is who we are, right? That we have, that we have this other piece. Um, let's see if my person has come back. Nope, hearing doors slam, but so if you hear things happening, the world is happening around me with our business and uh, my wife's business and some other things that are happening. So we'll just keep moving forward here. Uh, So is is keeping our spirit alive? And some people find that by attending these religious institutions, organizations. Um, Some people find they find fulfillment in their spirit by volunteering somewhere, by giving back to the world. Maybe even in politics, maybe doing a march or doing something that, that makes you feel like you are, you're giving back or that you're engaged in the world around you and making the world a better place. And that's, and that's not really, I mean, it's more than an emotional thing. And it's more than a, that's more than a body thing, right? And that's more than a mind thing. It's something deep in our core, deep in who we are that gets us, that gets us excited, that gets us, makes us feel alive. So those are, those are ways, those are four different areas of ourselves that we can love ourselves and be committed to ourselves. And once we do that, I've seen this happen over and over and over again. Is When people come to this place where they feel like they're doing well within themselves, this chain reaction happens. And all of a sudden, their, their family relationships seem to get better. And they want to connect and they want to be committed more to this cousin or this aunt or this parent um, uh, or their tribe, whoever they've picked for their family. And then their connection at work, their relationships at work, and their chosen group, and, and they become more powerful in their words and their statements of, hey, I'm not really interested in, in going to that Mexican restaurant <laughs> for lunch today, but you guys have a great time, and I know, I know you guys will. And, and instead of this bitter and angry and duty and obligation that I have to go to this this lunch with everyone at work or I have to go to this church that I've been attending for all this time, is they're able to say, hey, I, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling strong about who I am. And I can make some creative decisions. Their their brain is firing, right? The mapping of the brain that I talked about. And I can join this. I think I can. I want to try this new hobby. I've never done this before. But hey, I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to step out. I want to try this new hobby. Uh, this new church down the road. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explore. I'm going to be curious. And, and so they branch out. But it starts with loving ourselves. It starts with being committed to ourselves. We can't really love this God in the universe. We cannot really love others until we love ourselves. So the final thought here for today is commitment takes forethought. Planned and executed in a way that is <clears throat> that is in a way where we're saying, this is important enough that I've put some thought into this. This matters enough to me that I've I've been thinking about you. I've been thinking about your birthday. I've been thinking about this this activity that we're going to. And I thought I would stop along the way and get you this thing, right? It's you're committed to you're committed to this relationship. You're committed to this, to this uh, um, activity, this hobbies, this group that you're a part of that you're going to go out of your way to do something for, not because you have to, but because you want to. The second thing is uh, commitment requires allowing yourself to love yourself, be kind to yourself. And I had spent a good amount of time on that. But we can't, if we don't do that, then we won't have the other pieces of it to love others. And lastly, commitment means giving yourself to something and someone. And that's, I think that's the crux of what we're talking about here is, is that up until now, maybe we've seen commitment as this forced obligation. This forced thing, this this word has almost become a swear word in our minds. Ugh. How, how much commitment do I have to have if I sign up for this thing, right? If I don't show up, am I kicked out of this group? Am I doing, does, I, does my membership get canceled? Like, what, what is the thing? And yet we see over and over again that people that are successful are the ones that are, that are successful in certain areas are the ones that are committed to those areas. And they've proven this over and over again, which is why we have... Um, colleges and master's programs and different, and different entities where people give themselves to it. And they've put all of this time and energy into this study or this field that they push forward once they get out to go into this field. They're like, I've spent a lot of time and energy in this. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going after this. Person that's spent a lot of money. Let's say they saved up a bunch of money to start a business. And they said, listen, I have... I have toiled hard and I've been thinking about this for years. I am doing this. I'm going after this. You know, uh, even uh, with my wife and I, as we dated three and a half years before we got married, I mean, there was just a lot of time and energy and thought that went into this and, and we're going to get married someday and, and uh, now we've been married 11 years and, and, and it's, that, it's that anticipation it's that, and it's the hard work ahead of time. It's all of those pieces that were put into place, that, that we've put into place to say, I want to be committed to this thing. And so there's, you know, there's a lot of battles that come against it from the, from the quick, easy fixes of just going and buying a new thing at Walmart or, or not having to fix the thing just because we can go buy a new one. But that doesn't mean that we, can, that we give up on this idea of being committed to something. I, I see that with, with my kids. I see that with my parents that these people that I love and that I care about and that I want to spend time with and I want them to know that, that I care about them, that I invest time and energy and thought and planned, forethought and planned and executed thought ahead of time. So that is my thoughts for today. Speaking of thoughts, that's my thoughts for today on commitment and other ideas on connectedness. So I hope you enjoyed it and I look forward to talking to you next time.